brother. You've learned well. You're expert at Wu-Tang. <laughs> you learn. You have to suffer a lot. Otherwise, you'd never have mastered Chin King and the Wu-Tang sword skills. Welcome to the Alpha Male Buddhist from Brooklyn podcast. I'm your host, Miguel. I like to cover topics from ancient history, great leaders and generals from the past, and I also like to talk about self-realization, truth, critical thinking, and strategic spirituality. Outside the box, nonconformist. I'm here to shatter the myths of the mainstream media and the beta sheeple narrative. Welcome to the Alpha Male Buddhist from Brooklyn podcast. My email address is alphamalebuddhist at gmail.com. Let's start the show. Episode 22. The Godfather Part 1 was released in 1972 by Paramount Pictures. And it's a film, a crime film directed by... Francis Ford Coppola and novel written by Mario Puzo by the title of The Godfather. It stars Marlon Brando as Don Vito Corleone and Al Pacino as Michael Corleone, his son. And this and this podcast is fair use of the material contained within it. Welcome back to episode 22 of the podcast. Today in the podcast, we're going to look into a movie that was filmed in 1972, and it's a classic masterpiece, timeless, and illustrates for us the major archetypes that we see in life, whereby we learn how to deal with different types of adversities, situations, stresses, ambitions, fear, love, hate, greed. Just the whole full spectrum of life, uh, and it's all embodied within this movie. And if you're a person that views life and appreciates the strategies that uh, humans employ within life, um, then you'll get a lot of out of this movie also. And what is this movie? It's The Godfather Part 1. This movie has had a profound impact on my life personally. Um, I saw the movie when I was 12 years old. And as, uh, you know, as I put in my show notes, I've come up from a rough upbringing, pretty, pretty rough, you know, and uh, not as rough as all, but pretty, pretty rough. And uh, it just really had a profound impact on me in the direction that I took my life after seeing the movie when I was 12. Just laid out the whole groundwork for me and uh, illustrated to me and set an example for me uh, the allegory of life and what, you know, what a man should be and how a man should move forward in his life. So in this podcast, we're going to look at uh, about 10 or 12 scenes uh, from the movie. We're going to have the audio dialogue that I'm going to play, some clips. And, uh, you know, at the end of each clip, I'm going to give a breakdown on my opinion or my feeling of what that clip represents. So let's let's get into it. In this opening scene of The Godfather, part one, we see a man who practices an undertaker or mortician, and uh, there's a situation whereby his daughter's violated, and uh, he comes to the Don looking for justice. So 
listen carefully to the exchange that uh, they they have between one another. And the one thing that strikes me about this movie is that um, Don Vito Corleone is just masterful with his words. He doesn't waste a syllable. Every utterance from his mouth is just pretty much profounded to the point. Uh, and actually by watching this movie, I'm actually realizing that he's actually a stoic. And, uh, you know, if you don't know what a stoic is, you know, look it up. But it's a person that removes all of the nonsense and feelings and emotion and crap out of uh, daily living and just lives life for what it is. And to the fullest, uh, employing his uh, disciplines, his intellect, strategy, and all of the qualities that you need to live a fulfilled life. So let's get into it, and uh, this is going to be the opening scene of The Godfather, part one. I believe in America. America has made my fortune. And I raised my daughter in the American fashion. I gave her freedom, but... I taught her neighbor to dishonor her family. She found a boyfriend, not an Italian. She went to the movies with him. She stayed out late. I didn't protest. Two months ago, he took her for a drive with another boyfriend. They made her drink whiskey. And then they tried to take advantage of her. She resisted. She kept her honor. So they beat her like an animal. When I went to the hospital, her nose was broken. Her jaw was shattered, held together by wire. She couldn't even weep because of the pain. But I wept. Why did I weep? She was the light of my life. Beautiful girl. Now she will never be beautiful again. <coughs> Sorry. I, I went to the police like a good American. These two boys were brought to trial. The judge sentenced them to three years in prison and suspend the sentence. Suspend the sentence? They went free that very day. I stood in the courtroom like a fool. And those two bastards, they smiled at me. Then I said to my wife, for justice, we must go to Don Corleone. Why didn't you go to the police? Why didn't you come to me first? What do you want from me? Tell me anything, but do what I beg you to do. What is that? That I cannot do. I'll give you anything you ask. We've known each other many years, but this is the first time you ever came to me for counsel or for help. I can't remember the last time that you invited me to your house for a cup of coffee. Even though my wife is godmother to your only child. But let's be frank, you, you never wanted my friendship. And uh, 
You were afraid to be in my debt. I didn't want to get into trouble. I understand. You found paradise in America. You had a good trade, made a good living. Police protected you, and there were courts of law. And you didn't need a friend like me. But uh, now you come to me and you say, Don Corleone, give me justice. But you don't ask for respect. You don't offer friendship. You don't even think to call me Godfather. Instead, you come into my house on the day my daughter's to be married and you ask me to do murder for money. They ask you for justice. That is not justice. Your daughter is still alive. Let me suffer then. As she suffers, how much shall I pay you? Bonus, Sarah. Bonus, Sarah. What have I ever done to make you treat me so disrespectfully? If you'd come to me in friendship, then the scum that ruined your daughter would be suffering this very day. And if by chance an honest man like yourself should make enemies, then he would become my enemies. And then they would fear you. Be my friend? Godfather? Good. Someday, and that day may never come, I'll call upon you to do a service for me. But uh, until that day, accept this justice as a gift on my daughter's wedding day. Gracias. Gracias. Give this to uh, Clemenza. I'm of reliable people, people that aren't going to be carried away. I mean, we're not murderers, in spite of what this undertaker says. As you can see from the previous scene, this mortician undertaker gentleman just really doesn't have a clue and doesn't really understand who he's dealing with and the level of man that he's dealing with. He was counting on his civil government... Uh, court system, legal system, to give him justice. And when that let him down, he came to the dawn for justice, but in a very disrespectful way, not understanding the level uh, and the position of this man. Regardless as if he's a gangster or whatever his position is, but he's a man of authority. And he's offering him money and kind of trying to cut a deal with him and just, just doesn't get it. And that's why um, when he just blatantly offered him money to kill these offenders, the people that violated his daughter, the the Don gets up and says to him, you know, Bonacera, what have I ever done for you to insult me in this way? You know, he, he doesn't get it. And he says to him, you know, I've, I've known you for all these years. You've never, you know... You know, I'm, my wife is the goddaughter of your child, and you've never come to my house, you know, offered me a cup of coffee, uh, never even called me godfather. And, uh, again, he doesn't get it, but, you know, at the towards the closing of the scene, he says to him, um, you know, godfather, and he kind of, I guess you would say, kisses the ring, at which point uh, Don Corleone says, you know, um, hardworking man like yourself, you know, it's a classic line, hardworking man like yourself were to get any enemies, they would become my enemies. And 
they would fear you, which is, which is a classic freaking line. But anyway, we'll, we'll move on to the next scene. In this scene, uh, the Don, Don Corleone sits with his two sons, Sonny and Tom, and uh, they bring to his attention this gentleman by the name of Virgil Salazzo, or nicknamed the Turk. The Turk is, as his name infers, from Turkey, where he has poppy fields, uh, which he grows poppy in, and he brings it over to Sicily to process it into heroin. And he's known as a heroin manufacturer. And what he's looking to do is, he's a, he's a small time in the sense of, you know, he's he hasn't made his mark or hasn't become a major player in the United States or New York, but he's looking to do so. So he needs finance and he needs political protection and police protection. And he needs a million dollars in finance. So in this scene, um, the Don's two sons are, are explaining to him that this uh, Salazzo guy wants to have a sit down with him and and uh, make a business proposition to him. And if you pay very close attention to this scene, this is really the foundation of uh, this movie, actually the first movie and the second movie, um, because this is where the movie really, the plot really gets good and um, gets really, really uh, interesting and intriguing. A lot of strategy, a lot of, uh, lot, they're employing a lot of different disciplines in this meeting and uh, it's, it's tremendous if you really listen to it and see what transpires and the way Vito Corleone conducts himself the way he listens, his pauses his silences and if you notice he actually um, shushes Sonny um, because Sonny kind of jumps in into the conversation when he's not supposed to and it actually plays out in the movie because as a result of Sonny uh, intervening in the conversation it kind of gives a lot so the suggestion that Sonny might be interested in this proposition. And uh, the Don corrects him and, and tells him, never let anybody in the family know what you're thinking. His place was to be silent there. And by speaking, they're able to read your thoughts, and uh, which is a bad thing, especially when you're dealing with some, someone at this level, especially a gangster at this level. So let's, uh, let's give it a good listen. And uh, this, is, this is the Salazzo sit-down meeting. Tremendous. Check it out. Yeah, there's a lot of notes here. Now, Salazzo is known as the Turk. He's supposed to be very good with a knife, but only in matters of business with some sort of reasonable complaint. Uh, his business is narcotics. He has fields in Turkey where they grow the poppy. And in Sicily, he has the plants to process them into heroin. Now he needs cash, and he needs protection from the police, for which he gives a piece of the action. I couldn't find out how much. The Tatalia family is behind him here in New York. Now they have to be in it for something. How about his prison record? Two terms, one in Italy, one here. He's known as a top narcotics man. Santino, what do you think? There's a lot of money in that white powder. Huh? Well, I say yes. There's more money potential in narcotics than anything else we're looking at. Now, if we don't get into it, somebody else will. Maybe one of the five families, maybe all of them. Now, with the money they earn, they can buy more police and political power. Then they come after us. Now we have the unions, we have the gambling, and they're the best things to have. But narcotics, 
It's a thing of the future. Uh, if we don't get a piece of that action, we risk everything we have. I mean, not now, but 10 years from now. So? What's your answer gonna be, Pop? There, Don Corleone. I need a man who has powerful friends. I need a million dollars in cash. I need Don Corleone, those politicians that you carry in your pocket, like so many nickels and dimes. What is the interest for my family? 30%. In the first year, your end should be three, four million dollars. And then it would go up. Now, what is the interest for the Tatalia family? My compliments. I'll take care of the Tatalias. Out of my share. So, I received 30% for finance, political influence, and legal protection. That's what you're telling me. That's right. Why do you come to me? Why do I deserve this generosity? If you consider a million dollars in cash, just finance, to salute, Uncle Corleone. I said that I would see you because I heard that you were a serious man to be treated with respect. But uh, I must say no to you, and I'll give you my reasons. It's true, I have a lot of friends in politics. But they wouldn't be friendly very long if they knew my business was drugs instead of gambling, which they regard as a, a harmless vice. But drugs is a dirty business. Oh, don't call you. It, may, it doesn't make any difference to me what a man does for a living, I understand. But uh, your business is... Uh, a little dangerous. If you're worried about security for your million, the Tatalias will guarantee it. Oh, are you telling me that the Tatalias guarantee our investment? I have a sentimental weakness for my children, and I spoil them, as you can see. They talk when they should listen. But anyway, Senor Sonotso, I know it's final, and I wish to congratulate you on your new business. I know you do very well, and good luck to you. Especially since your interests don't conflict with mine. Thank you. Santino. Come in. What's the matter with you? I think your brain is going soft. From all that comedy you're playing with that young girl. Never tell anybody outside the family what you're thinking again. Come on. Tom, what? I noticed this nonsense. It's from Johnny starring in that new uh, film. Huh. Take it away. Take it over there. And, um, tell Luke Cabrazzi to come in. I'm a little worried about this Salozzo fellow. I want you to find out what he's got under his fingernails, you know? Go to the, uh, Tatalias, uh, and, uh, make them think that, uh, you're not too happy with our family, and, Find out what you can. Now, as you could see, uh, Don Corleone declines his proposal, declines Salazzo's proposal. And you really can't read it because, you know, Salazzo's a pro, so he doesn't show his emotions. But shortly after leaving that meeting, he synchronizes with the Tatalia family. And I actually come to find out the Barzini's, who's really behind the whole thing. And, uh, they plot to kill Don Corleone. They, 
you know, he's uh, the Don is out buying some fruit, and I guess he's not paying attention. He kind of slipped a little bit, lacked a little bit there, and uh, Salato's people, you know, they sent some gunmen after him, and he gets shot multiple times. Don Corleone gets shot multiple times, and you can see Fredo, who is Don Corleone's son, come out fumbling and bumbling, drops his gun, and this is a pattern for Fredo. He's the archetype for the fool or the clown. And uh, so, yeah, you could see from uh, from this scene that, um, well, after this after this meeting, um, that uh, Salato comes to exact uh, murder against Don Corleone, which uh, he almost he almost does take him out. So this is going to transition us into the into the next scene, where um, the Corleones start to strategize together uh, and talk about what steps they're going to take to, you know, get their revenge against Salazzo and the um, Tatalias. At this point, they believe it's just the Tatalias. They don't realize it's the Barzinis also. But, but as they start formulating their strategy and discussing it and, and reviewing it and going over it, um, Michael actually, out of nowhere, kind of manifests as as actually the brains and the leader in the situation because he proposes the plan to take out um, take out Salazzo and a crooked cop that's backing him up. Uh, so they want to arrange a meeting with, with Michael because they feel that he's a neutral party and uh, because he's a war veteran, he just came back and, you know, came back from World War II. He's a good kid, college kid, soldier, uh, you know, clean cut. But this is where Michael actually manifests, and he really takes after his dad, the Don. You can see the genetics kicking in in, in, in Michael and uh, in his thinking and the way he executes his plans. So pay very close attention to this. This is this is really the nitty-gritty. This is these are some of the best scenes in, in all of this is this is transcends movies. This is just archetypal stuff and just real real meaty, really good stuff, man. So let's get into it. No. No, no, no more. Not this time, Consigliere. No more meetings, no more discussions, no more Salazzo tricks. You give him one message, I want Salazzo. Now it's all out war, we go to the Some of the other families won't sit still. They never hand me Salazzo. Your father wouldn't want to hear this. This is business, not personal. They shot my father. Even the shooting of your father was business, not personal, Sonny. Well, then business will have to suffer, all right? And listen, do me a favor, Tom. No more advice on how to patch things up. Just help me win, please, all right? I found out about this Captain McCluskey who broke Mike's jaw. What about him? Now, he's definitely on Shalazzo's payroll and for big money. See? McCluskey has agreed to be the Turk's bodyguard. What you have to understand, Sonny, is that while Shalazzo is being guarded like this, he is invulnerable. Now, nobody has ever gunned down a New York police captain, never. It would be disastrous. All the five families would come after you, Sonny. The Corleone family would be outcast. Even the old man's political protection would run for cover. So do me a favor. Take this into consideration. All right, wait. You can't wait. Right? Can't wait. I don't care what Celesto says about a deal. He's going to kill Park. That's it. That's the key for him. Got to get Celesto. Mike is right. Let me ask you something, Professor. I mean, what about this McCluskey? 
Huh? What do we do with this? Copy. They want to have a meeting with me, right? It will be me, Kluski, and Salazzo. Let's set the meeting. Get our informers to find out where it's going to be held. Now, we insist it's a public place, a bar, a restaurant, some place where there's people so I feel safe. They're going to search me when I first meet them, right? So I can't have a weapon on me then. But if Clemenza can figure a way to have a weapon planted there for me, then I'll kill them both. <laughs> Nice college boy, huh? Didn't want to get mixed up in the family business? Huh? Now you want to gun down a police captain, what, because he slapped you in the face a little bit? Huh? What do you think, this is the army where you shoot him a mile away? You got to get him close like this, and bing you blow their brains all over your nice cyber league suit. Come here. You're taking this very personal. Tom, this is business, and this man is taking it very, very personal. Where does it say that you can't kill a cop? Come on, Mikey. Tom, wait a minute. I'm talking about a cop? That's mixed up in drugs. I'm talking about a, a, a dishonest cop, a crooked cop who got mixed up in the rackets and got what was coming. That's a terrific story. And we have newspaper people on the payroll, don't we, Tom? Right, they might like a story like that. They might. They just might. It's not personal, Sonny. It's strictly business. It's as cold as they come. Impossible to trace, so you don't worry about prints, Mike. I put a special tape on the trigger and a butt. Here, try it. What's the matter, the trigger too tight? <laughs> I don't want my ears. Yeah, I left it noisy. That way it scares any pain in the ass innocent bystanders away. All right, you shot them both. Now what do you do? Sit down, finish my dinner. Come on, kid, don't fool around. Just let your hands drop to your side. And let the gun slip out. Everybody will still think you got it. They're going to be staring at your face, Mike. So walk out of the place real fast, but you don't run. Don't look nobody directly in the eye, but you don't look away either. Hey, they're going to be scared stiff of you, believe me. So don't worry about nothing. You know, you're going to turn out all right. You take a long vacation, nobody knows where, and we're going to catch the help. How bad do you think it's going to be? Pretty goddamn bad. Probably all the other families will line up against us. That's all right. This seems to happen every five years or so. Ten years. Helps to get rid of the bad blood. Been ten years since the last one. You know, you got to stop them at the beginning. Like they should have stopped Hitler at Munich. They should never let them get away with that. They was just asking for big trouble. You know, Mike, we was all proud of you being a hero and all. Your father, too. As you could hear from the previous segment, um, Clemenza was uh, teaching Michael tricks of the trade as far as how to you know, carry out this execution in the coffee shop, or restaurant rather, that they were going to meet at with Salazzo and with the crooked cop, McClutsky. Uh Michael's a little bit nervous, but he's handling, handling it like a champ. And he's got some good trainers and good family behind him, so... Um, in this next segment, Michael actually is waiting, you know, for his ride to pick him up. Uh, the ride being provided by um, the Turk, Salazzo, and the McCluskey, the cop. 
uh, where they kind of, you know, ride together to the restaurant where they're going to proceed to have this uh, sit-down negotiation to try to patch everything up between the families and taking into consideration the attempt on uh, the Don's life. Michael is very upset. So this, it's been planned that uh, Michael's going to carry out this execution with the two of them. And uh, you can read pretty much the whole scene. You could read it in, the, in Michael Corleone's eyes. And if you notice, he waits for the train to pass by to make noise so that the sound of the gunshots won't won't be heard outside. And it's masterful. So let's let's get into it. And then so long, those people don't know where the meeting's going to be held. How much time do we have? I'll pick you up in front of Jack Dempsey's joint in an hour and a half. Exactly, an hour and a half. We could put a tail on him, uh, it turns out. So lots of loose our ass going around the block. What about the negotiator? He's over at my place playing pinochle with a couple of my men. He's happy. They're letting him win. It's too much of a risk for Mike. Maybe we ought to call it off, Sonny. Negotiator keeps on playing cards until Mike comes back safe and sound. So why does he just blast who's ever in the goddamn car? It's too dangerous. They'll be looking for that. So long, so might not even be in the car, Sonny. I get it. Louis' restaurant in the Bronx. Well, is it reliable? That's my man in McCluskey's precinct. Police captain's got to be on call 24 hours a day. He signed out at that number between 8 and 10. Anybody notice, Joint? Yeah, sure, I do. It's perfect for us. A small family place, good food, everyone minds his business. It's perfect. Pete, they got an old-fashioned toilet. You know, the box and, and, and the, uh, the chain thing. We might be able to take the gun behind it. All right. Mike, you go to a restaurant, you eat, you talk for a while, you relax. You make them relax. Then you get up and you go take a leak. Or better still, you ask for permission to go. Then when you come back, you come out blasting. And don't take any chances. Two shots in the head apiece. Now listen, I want somebody good, and I mean very good, to plant that gun. I don't want my brother coming out of that toilet with just his dick in his hands, all right? The gun will be there. All right, listen, you drive him and you pick him up after the job. Come on, let's move. Did he uh, tell you to drop the gun right away? Yeah, a million times. Uh, you don't forget. Two shots a piece in the head as soon as you come out the door. Huh? How long do you think it'll be before I can come back? At least a year, Mike. Listen, um, I square with mom. You know, you're not seeing her before you leave, and uh, I'll get a message to that girlfriend when I think the time is right. you can, Mike. I hope we can straighten everything out. I mean, this is terrible. It's not the way I wanted things to go at all. It should have never happened. I'm gonna straighten everything out tonight. I don't want my father bothered anymore. He won't be, Mike. I swear on my children he won't be. But you gotta keep an open mind when we talk. I mean, I hope you're not a hothead like your brother Sonny. You can't talk business with him. You do know what I deny. Uh, he's a good kid. 
I'm sorry about the other night, Mike. I gotta frisk you, so turn around, huh? On your knees, facing me. I guess I'm getting too old for my job. Too grouchy. Can't stand the aggravation. You know how it is? He's clean. No New Jersey? Maybe. Nice work, Lou. How's the Italian food in this restaurant? Good. Try the veal. It's the best in the city. I'll have it. I'm gonna speak Italian to Mike. Go ahead. Me dispiace. Ci sei. Tu, hai sapere. La critica successo tra me e tuo padre fu una cosa di business. E io hai un grosso rispetto per tuo padre. Ma tuo padre pensa antica. E tu non lo vuoi capire. E io sono un uomo di onori. Tu ma devi sti così. Lo sai che tu vuoi sapere che ho aiutato la famiglia d'Italia. Io credo che ci potremmo mettere un accordo. Io voglio pace. E lasciamo perdere che tutti sti cazzati. Ma voi gioca... Yeah. What I want, what's most important to me, is that I have a guarantee. No more attempts on my father's life. What guarantees can I give you, Mike? I am the hunted one. I missed my chance. You think too much of me, kid. I'm not that clever. All I want is a truce. I have to go to the bathroom. Is that all right? You gotta go, you gotta go. I frisked him. He's clean. Don't take too long. I frisked a thousand young bones. Italiano come tu padre? Tu padre sta male. Quando sta meglio, cerchiamo di fare un giugno e mettiamo tutto a posto. Steve staria, si deve finire. segment as a result of Michael assassinating McCluskey and Salazzo they obviously go for revenge Salazzo and the and the Titanius so what they do is Carlo who is married to Sonny Corleone's sister had a habit of beating her and I guess they were able to distinguish this pattern in him where the minute Carlo would beat his wife, which is uh, 
the Corleone sister, you know, Michael and um, Tom and Sonny's sister, you know, the, the husband would beat her. Sonny would always run over and beat the crap out of the husband for laying hands on his sister. So they read this pattern in him and they utilized it. So shortly after the assassination of Salazzo and McCluskey, they made a plan whereby um, Carlo, the, the husband of the Corleone sister, Carlo beat the crap out of his wife. And they, uh, she, the sister, reached out to uh, Sonny, who always defended her, and says, hey, he beat the crap out of me and whatever. And uh, he immediately took off to, to go beat the crap out of him. And in the process of doing that, they knew he had to go through a certain causeway, a toll booth. And when he did that, when as he was as Sonny was going through the toll booth, the car in front of him stopped, which means he couldn't pass by. And it's a classic scene. The the, the people in the toll booth they came out with their little um, Gatling guns or whatever that Tommy guns, and they just blasted the shit out of him right there in the car. So they, the the war is on right now, and he was it was too easy to read him and determine his moves. So that that's what took him out. So resulting from this. Um, Tom Hagen, the consulary, comes comes home and speaks with the Don and explains to him how how Sonny was executed in, in that fashion. And the Don just has had enough. And what he does is he <clears throat> he instructs Tom to set up a sit down with the five families uh, to to set up some type of peace. And uh, they they sit down and have this meeting. But this this meeting is tremendous. Just everything that's going on in the meeting. And you can see Don Corleone just reading everybody and reading the situation and just putting all the pieces together. And this is where he figures out that it was Barzini all along. That classic line, I thought it was Titania, but it was Barzini all along. The classic line. So let's get into it, man. My wife is crying upstairs. I hear cars coming to the house. I see the area of mine. I think you should tell your Don what everyone seems to know. I didn't tell Mama anything. I was about to come up and wake you just now and tell you. But you needed a drink first. Yeah. And now you've had your drink. They shot Sonny on the causeway. He's dead. I want no inquiries made. I want no acts of vengeance. I want you to arrange a meeting with the heads of the five families. This war stops now. <clears throat> Call Bonson. We need him now. Again, the Don finds out uh, about Sonny's uh, assassination. He's he's had enough. But you could tell under this under the surface there's something else bubbling. Um, he's coming up close to his demise. He knows he's, he's sickly. He's been almost shot to death and, you know, he's becoming older. So he's ready to pass the torch or make, you know, make his last move, make his last mark. The culmination of all of his experience and knowledge and just, you know, the, his whole archetypal self, you know, where, where he's at in life. So, you know, they proceed to set up this meeting, as I said, and, uh, again just just watch 
you know, watch the Don, how he conducts himself, Barzini, and the exchange between uh, Barzini and Tatalia. You can see them giving little glances and kind of backing one another up. Pretty much, for the most part, everyone else is silent except for one guy who kind of hops up and says, hey, I don't want it in schools, I don't want heroin here and there. But the whole premise of the meeting is the distribution of heroin and how the Don is going to you know, buy, either buy into it or not. And by buying into it, he's going to give his political support and his police support and, and financial support. Um, it's brilliant. So, you know, they're going to have this, you know, prototypical classic, you know, five families have a sit down, you know, New York City gangster style. You know, it's crazy shit. So um, and this is this is how it was, man, back in the day, you know. So, yeah. So let's get into it and uh, just just give it a good listen. And if you pay very close attention, right at the end, you'll hear the Don say, call Bonacera, which is the Undertaker guy in the beginning of the movie, in the opening of the movie, who uh, his daughter was violated and, you know, was kind of trying to haggle and being very disrespectful to the Don. That that same dude, that's Bonacera, who's an Undertaker. So he says, you know, call Bonacera, I guess, you know, to take care of Sonny, who was mangled up by that assassination. So it's just kind of interesting if you pay attention. Again, let's get into it. Don Barsini, I want to thank you for helping me organize this meeting here today. And also the other heads of the five families from New York, New Jersey. Carmine Cuneo from the Bronx and uh, Brooklyn, (coughs) Philip Tatalia. From Staten Island, we have with us uh, Victor Strachey and all the other associates who came as far as from California, Kansas City, and all the other territories of the country. Thank you. How did things ever get so far? I don't know. We're so unfortunate, so unnecessary. Natalia lost the son. I lost the son. We're quits. And if Natalia agrees, then I'm willing to let things go on the way they were before. We're all grateful to Don Corleone for calling this meeting. We all know him as a man of his word. A modest man. He'll always listen to reason. Yes, Don Barzini. He's too modest. He had all the judges and politicians in his pocket. He refused to share them. When when did I ever refuse an accommodation? All of you know me here. When did I ever refuse, except one time? And why? Because I believe this drug business is going to destroy us in the years to come. I mean, it's not like gambling or... Liquor, even women, which is something that most people want nowadays and is uh, forbidden to them by the Petsonavanti of the church. Even the police departments that have helped us in the past with uh, gambling and other things are going to refuse to help us when it comes to narcotics. And I believed that then, and I believe that now. Times have changed. It's not like the old days where we can do anything we want. A refusal is not the act of a friend. Don Corleone had all the judges and the politicians in New York. 
then he must share them, all of others use them. He must let us draw the water from the well. Certainly he can present a bill for such services. After all, we are not communists. <laughs> I also don't believe in drugs. For years, I paid my people extra so they wouldn't do that kind of business. Somebody comes to them and says, I have powders. If you put up three, four thousand dollar investment, we can make fifty thousand distributing. So they can't resist. I want to control it as a business to keep it respectable. I don't want it near schools. I don't want it sold to children. That's an infamia. In my city, we would keep the... And as a reasonable man, I'm willing to do whatever's necessary to find a peaceful solution to this problem. Then we are agreed. The traffic and drugs will be permitted, but controlled. And Don Corleone will give her protection in the East, and there will be the peace. But I must have strict assurance from Corleone. As time goes by and his position becomes stronger, will he attempt any individual vendetta? Look, we are all reasonable men here. We don't have to give assurances as if we were lawyers. You talk about vengeance. Is vengeance gonna bring your son back to you? Or my boy to me? I forgot the vengeance of my son. But I have selfish reasons. My younger son was forced to leave this country because of this Sinatra business. All right, I have to make arrangements to bring him back here safely, clear of all these false charges. But I'm a superstitious man. And if some unlucky accident should befall him, if he should get shot in the head by a police officer, or if he should hang himself in his jail cell, or if he's struck by a bolt of lightning, then I'm going to blame some of the people in this room. And that I do not forgive. But that aside, Let me say that I swear on the souls of my grandchildren that I will not be the one to break the peace we've made here today. When I meet with the Tatalia people, should I insist that all these drug middlemen have clean records? Mention it. Don't insist. But Cheney's a man who know that without being told. You mean Tatalia? Tatalia's a pimp. He never could have outfought Santino. But I didn't know until this day that it was Bacini all along. So after the meeting on the drive back, uh, Tom Hagen, the Consigliere, and the Donna going back, uh, talking back and forth. And the Donna already has all this figured out. So, Tom Hagen, with his legalistic mind, uh, questions the Don and says, Hey, you know, should we advise to tell you to make sure that everybody that's getting involved in this process have clean criminal backgrounds? 
And the Don responds, Barzini knows, you know, if they should have, you know, what he should be doing. These guys should have a clean background. And then Tom naively says, well, you know, um, you know, to tie, isn't it to tie? He goes, he goes, no, he goes, this is, this is Barzini and this is the classic land. It's been Barzini all along. So he has this, uh, the Don has this all figured out in his head and, and is getting ready to unleash his, uh, his strategic move that's going to put his family out in the forefront. And it's crazy shit. So let's, let's get into it again. Barzini's people chisel my territory and we do nothing about it. Pretty soon there won't be one place in Brooklyn I can hang my hat. Just be patient. I'm not asking you for help, Mike. Just take off the handcuffs. Be patient. We gotta protect ourselves. Uh, give me a chance to recruit some new men. No. I don't want to give Barzini an excuse to start fighting. Mike, you're wrong. Don Corleone. You once said that the day would come when Tessio and me could form our own family. Till today, I would never think of it. I must ask your permission. Well, Michael is now head of the family, and if he gives his permission, then do you have my blessing? After we make the move to Nevada, you can break off from the Corleone family and go on your own. After we make the move to Nevada. How long will that be? Six months. Forgive me, Godfather, but with you gone, me and Pete will come under Barzini's thumb sooner or later. And I hate that goddamn Barzini. In six months' time, there won't be nothing left to build on. You have faith in my judgment? Yes. Do I have your loyalty? Yes, always, Godfather. Don't be a friend to Michael. Do as he says. There are things being negotiated now that are going to solve all your problems and answer all your questions. That's all I can tell you now. Seeing Tessio and Clemenza um, are in a meeting with, with the Don and, and, and the whole Corleone family. And they're getting very nervous because they're not exactly sure what's transpiring. They're in the midst of a gang warfare. <clears throat> and they're afraid that they're going to fall under the thumb of Barzini because I guess they don't have faith in Michael as being the new Don. Because that's actually what's happening, that's transpiring, is that, uh, the, you know, Don Vito's pretty much in semi-retirement and he's become the consulary to to Michael, his son. So Clemenza and Tessio are very nervous and they're afraid, again, they're going to be under the thumb of Barzini. So they approach uh, Don Vito and they say to him, they plead with him and say, hey, you know, you promised we could have our own family and kind of split apart and do our own our own business and have our own our own crew, our own family. And uh, the Don says, well, you know, you, you're going to have to take that up with Michael because, you know, he's the Don. And, and, and Michael says to them, you know, well, actually, Don Vito says, you know, do you, do you trust me, you know, and, and, and are you loyal to me? Do I have your loyalty? And uh, they say, yeah, you know, yes, Godfather. So he says, then, then be Michael's friend and, you know, listen, listen to Michael. He's the new Don. At which point Mike says, you know, in six months we're going to be moving out to Vegas and making new plans, and that's when you can move out on your own. So it gets kind of interesting, so let's let's get into that scene. Because the grand finale is coming up. Tom Hagen's no longer consigliere. He's going to be our lawyer in Vegas. That's no reflection on Tom, but that's the way I want it. Besides, if I ever need help, who's a better consigliere than my father? 
just as soon as this uh, meeting between the Corleones breaks up, uh, Michael proceeds to fire Tom Hagen as Cancellari and assign his his dad, Don Vito, as his Cancellari. Because, and I believe under the surface, all of this was actually Don Vito's planning because he, he was getting ready to go into wartime and to eliminate all of the leaders of the other four families so that the Corleones can reign supreme over gangland. So, um... Knowing this, Tom, and he, not Tom, but uh, yeah, Tom yelled at, um, not Tom, Sonny yelled at Tom saying, you know, I wish I had a wartime consulary. And that kind of revealed a lot as, 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 as intelligent as Tom Hagen was and legal minded and, you know, level headed. He wasn't a wartime strategic type dude. He kind of on the passive side and kind of backed up a lot. And I guess it was noticed. So when, uh, when they noticed this and they, the, Don, underneath, I believe he, you know, Don Vito planned all of this to go into war and eliminate the other leaders of the five families. They knew they needed a true wartime consulary. So Michael stepped up to be the Don, but really, I believe through this whole time, you know, obviously Don Vito was running the whole show behind the scenes, even as wartime consulary. But take into consideration both of them, you know, the father and son, Michael Corleone and Don Vito Corleone together, you have a tremendous team them and those two guys together, well, what an archetype, huh? So yeah, they they setting forth this plan. They fire Tom as the consulary, and they get ready to go to war. So let's get into it, man. Now we've established that the Corleones are going to war. So what happens next is Mike Corleone goes out to Vegas. And uh, to which he has sent Fredo, his brother. And Fredo's the big bumbling clown. You know, with the scarves and the dark sunglasses, looking like an asshole. No swag at all. So Fredo's out in Vegas and, you know, trying to trying to hook up with this guy Mo Green. Because the Corleones have invested heavily into Mo Green's casino and hotel. And, uh... And business is not doing well. You know, it looks like Mo Green is shaving some money off the top and kind of embezzling and cheating the family out. Um, but the Corleones play along with it because their plan is to buy him out of that hotel. You know, let him establish it, get it, get it moving, and then take it over. So Michael comes out to Ve- Michael Corleone comes out to Vegas to sit with Mo Green and offer to buy him out of uh, of, of the business out of the hotel and casino. And uh, I guess contingent upon the turnout of this would determine how the Corleones were going to conduct their war. Because as I said, they're going to take out all the leaders of the other four families. And uh, well, actually, Mo Green, you know, they were not actually a family. They were Jewish gangsters, but uh, they were heavily affiliated with, you know, a lot of the families, organized families. So they were kind of all meshed in together. But definitely Mo Green was a gangster, um, big, big time gangster. I believe he was actually there was an actual dude that Mo Green represents in you know in Gangland in Las Vegas. I think it was Hiram Roth or one of them. Anyway, so Michael Corleone goes out to again goes out to Vegas, has a sit down with Mo Green, and Mo Green, you know, upon Michael offering to buy buy out Mo Green from the business, Mo Green is insulted and he just unleashes on. On Michael, and I guess Michael was just putting the pieces together because at the end he says, you know, um, come up with a price and let me know in the morning. 
because he wasn't even going to sit there and haggle with him and contingent upon uh, him, Mo Green agreeing or not to the deal would determine whether or not he was going to get proverbially whacked, okay, which ends up happening. So, again, pay close attention to this scene. And uh, basically, um, this is the close of the movie because what happens here is uh, Mo Green again insults him and uh, just as Michael is baptizing a baby child, you know, as a godfather, godfather figure archetype, um, just as that's taking place, the priest is speaking in Latin. You could hear him speak in Latin, uh, doing the benediction or whatever, the baptism. And uh, it's like a symphony where the Corleones proceed to whack all of the leaders of the other four families, including Mo Green. And uh, at the end, everybody comes up. To Michael in his office, Michael Corleone, and they kissed the ring. You know, the Don, uh, the Don Corleone dies in the garden with with the, with his little grandson running around. I guess he gets a heart attack or something. You know, that's not in here. If you didn't, see, if you didn't see the movie, you got to see it. And I would suggest paying for the DVD or paying for the movie because it's worth. And put it in your collection and, and watch it once a year. <laughs> Tremendous movie, but buy it. I I highly recommend you pay for it and buy it and support. You know, Paramount for this movie masterpiece. Anyway. Um, or it's actually on Netflix and uh, all the platforms carry it now, so you can just pay for it. Anyway, um, they proceed to whack the, the, the leaders of all the families out and Michael reigns supreme as, as the Don and everybody comes to kiss the ring and the movie closes out. And then it goes into Godfather part two, which is, may even be better than part one, but these, the one and two is just a seamless, it's like one movie. Three was, ah, but, uh, yeah, let's, we're going to close it out with this. And hopefully you guys enjoy this, and I'd like to get some feedback from you. I'm going to close it out with this scene, and uh, I'll just give my email at the end. So let's let's get into this last closing scene. Johnny, how are you? Hello, Mike. Nice to see you again. We're all proud of you. Thanks, Mike. Now, sit down, Johnny. I want to talk to you. The Don's proud of you, too, Johnny. Well, I uh, owe it all to him. Well, he knows how grateful you are. That's why he liked to ask a favor. Mike, what can I do? The Corleone family is thinking of giving up all its interest in the olive oil business, settling mm -hmm. out here. Mm -hmm. Now, Mo Green will sell us his share of the casino and the hotel so it could be completely owned by the family. Tom? Hey, Mike, are you sure about that? Mo loves the business. He never said nothing to me about selling. Well, I'll make him an offer he can't refuse. See, Johnny, see, we figured that entertainment will be a big factor in drawing gamblers to the casino. Now, we hope you'll sign a contract to appear five times a year. Perhaps uh, convince some of your friends in the movies to do the same. We're counting on you. Sure, Mike. I'll do anything for my godfather. You know that. Good. Hey, Mike. Hello, fellas. Everybody's here. Freddie, Tom, good to see you, Mike. How are you, Mo? All right. You got everything you want? The chef cooked for you special. The dancers will kick your tongue out, and your credit is good. Draw chips for everybody in the room so they can play in the house. My credit good enough to buy you out? <laughs> buy me out. The casino. The hotel. The Corleone family wants to buy you out. The Corleone family wants to buy me out? No. I buy you out. You don't buy me out. Your casino loses money. Maybe we can do better. You think I'm skimming off the top, Mike? You're unlucky. 
You goddamn guineas really make me laugh. I do you a favor and take Freddie in when you're having a bad time, and then you try to push me out. Wait a minute. You took Freddie in because the Corleone family bankrolled your casino because the Molinari family on the coast guaranteed his safety. Now, we're talking business. Let's talk business. Yeah, let's talk business, Mike. First of all, you're all done. The Coyote family don't even have that kind of muscle anymore. The Godfather is sick, right? You're getting chased out of New York by Bazzini and the other families. What do you think is going on here? You think you can come to my hotel and take over? I talked to Bazzini. I can make a deal with him and still keep my hotel. Is that why you slapped my brother around in public? Oh, no, that, that, that was nothing, Mike. Now, now uh, Mo didn't mean nothing by that. Sure, he flies off the handle once in a while, but... But Mo and me were good friends, right, Mo, huh? I got a business to run. I got to kick asses sometimes to make it run right. We had a little argument, Freddie and I, so I had to straighten him out. You straightened my brother out? He was banging cocktail waitresses two at a time. Players couldn't get a drink at the table. What's wrong with you? I leave for New York tomorrow. Think about a price. Do you know who I am? I'm Mo Green. I made my bones when you were going out with cheerleaders. Wait a minute, Mo. Mo, I get an idea. Tom, Tom, you're the conciliary. Now, you can talk to the Don, you can explain. Just a minute. The Don is semi-retired, and Mike is in charge of the family business now. If you have anything to say, say it to Mike. Mike, you don't come to Las Vegas and talk to a man like Mo Green like that. Fredo. You're my older brother, and I love you. But don't ever take sides with anyone against the family again. Ever. That concludes episode 22 of the podcast. Uh, please, any thoughts, feedback, show topics, email me at alphamalebuddhist at gmail.com. Namaste.